Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Today's podcast was recorded yesterday. If you want to listen to my podcasts commercial-free the day I record them, go to petershift.locals.com and sign up. It only costs $5 a month. The Peter Schiff Show. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group. For more than 20 years, I've been entrusting my personal estate planning and asset protection to the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group, and you should too. Go to jmvlaw.com by July 15th and mention my name and you'll get 50% off your first consultation. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Shopify. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving even the smallest entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for just the biggest businesses. For a free 14-day trial and full access to Shopify's entire suite of features, go to shopify.com gold. Well, the big story today is the near 1,200-point drop in the Dow yesterday. In fact, for both the Dow and the S&P, it was the worst day since June of 2020 when we were deep in the pandemic. But, you know, more important than the Dow going down so much is why did it go down so much? And I will get to that a bit later in the podcast. First, let me focus on what actually happened both yesterday and today because we had follow through. There was a choppy day today where the markets were up and down. But by the end of the day, All of the markets, save the Russell 2000, added to yesterday's losses. But the percentage decline in the Dow yesterday was 3.5%. The S&P dropped by 4%. And the Nasdaq Composite was down just over 5%. Now, we added to all the losses today. It wasn't that big a down day, but still, the fact that the markets couldn't even get much of a bounce off of yesterday's carnage really shows you how technically weak these markets are. In fact, the Dow Jones hit a new low today for this correction, still technically not in a bear market. The Dow Jones is now down 15.5%. S&P 500 down just over 19%. 
So barely clinging to correction territory. I mean, a lot of people are in denial of this bear market. They want to claim, well, we're not really in a bear market because look, the S&P is only down 19%. Well, the only way we're not in a bear market if somehow we manage to avoid a close of down 20%. I put the probability of that at near zero. I think there's no way the S&P is going to get out of this without closing down 20%. In fact, I think the S&P is going to go down more than 20%. But remember, if the S&P does go down 20%, we're in a bear market now, down 19%. In fact, we were in a bear market when the Dow was only down 5%. It's just that we didn't realize it yet. We thought it was a correction because we had no idea how far the correction would go. But once a correction goes to 20%, well, then the entire thing is a bear market. The only real question is, how bad is this bear market going to be? How much longer is it going to last? And how much lower are the averages going to go? Because for the NASDAQ and the Russell 2000, we're already deep in bear market territory. The NASDAQ is now the worst performing index. It's down 29% from its peak Russell 2000 is close behind. It's down just over 28%. In fact, we did get a rally today in some of the most heavily shorted, riskiest of the tech stocks, the Kathy Wood ARC Innovation type stocks, because ARC was up 4.5% today. And many of the high-flying, heavily shorted stocks that comprise that ETF did manage to bounce today. But I think the main reason they're going up is because I think the shorts are covering and they're concentrating their firepower on some of the bigger tech stocks, especially in light of the earnings bombshell yesterday after the bell on Cisco Systems, which sent shares of Cisco plunging by 15% today. Stock is now down 35% from its peak, clearly in a bear market. But a lot of the other big tech stocks, these are the ones that actually have earnings. They're going down. Look at Apple, which is a perennial favorite, a real bellwether. Everybody owns Apple. Apple is down another 2% today. Apple is now down 25%. So it's in a bear market. It's pretty rare that Apple is in a bear market. A lot of people own this stock. And now they're probably considering what they should do with it. I would not take any comfort in the fact that we got a short covering rally in some of these stocks because I think when the shorts are finished covering, the market's going down because who in their right mind wants to buy these stocks? Obviously, if you're short and you want to cover so you can free up some margin power to short something else, well, that makes sense. The people who are short have to buy. But if you're not short, why would anybody want to buy? These stocks still have a long way to go because a lot of these stocks are still heavily overvalued. In fact, maybe now that they've bounced, maybe some new shorts will pounce on the rally and drive these stocks to new lows. But another point to consider is that next month, the Fed is supposedly going to start quantitative tightening. Because as of now, they're still supporting the markets with quantitative easing. Now, they're not doing as much QE as they used to, but they're still doing it. As of last week, we got the balance sheet data again after the close today. The balance sheet expanded by another $3.9 billion. It now sits at $8.946 trillion. So for all the tough talk 
about how resolute the Fed is and committed to fighting inflation, they continue to create more inflation. Well, if the markets are this weak, despite the Fed's efforts to prop them up with quantitative easing, imagine how much weaker the markets are going to be when the Fed actually begins undermining the markets with quantitative tightening. But I think what's really important was the catalyst for the big drop on Wednesday. Not necessarily the drop itself, which of course is important, and I've expected the markets to continue lower for all of the reasons that I have been articulating on this podcast, but we got another earnings bombshell for Target. Now, I mentioned the earnings bombshell that we got from Walmart on my last podcast. I didn't really delve into the significance of it, but I did mention that it was interesting that the stock market just shrugged it off because I thought that was really bad news, mainly because of the reasons that Walmart was attributing to the miss, and it was inflation. It was inflation driving up costs. Clearly, they didn't raise their prices enough to offset their increasing costs, and that squeezed their margins, and that's why the stock dropped. In fact, Walmart is now down 26%. In fact, it made a new low for the year again today. So Walmart, the biggest brick-and-mortar retailer in a bear market, But Target, I think the Target news was really the knockout punch. Maybe Walmart was a setup punch, was a left jab, but then there was a right cross uh, that really knocked the markets for a loop. Target reminded investors of how bad the problem is and really raised the specter of recession to a higher level. Now, I believe we're already in a recession. I think everybody who refuses to accept this, is living in denial, whether it's a case of wishful thinking or cognitive dissonance, whatever it is. But I think there is overwhelming evidence that the recession has already started. We'll see if we get official confirmation with a negative print for Q2. We've already got one negative print in the bag for Q1. But Target reported an increase of sales, right? Revenues were up about 4%. But profits plunged by, I think, 52%. And the reason that Target cited for the big miss in profits was inflation. Inflation was driving up costs, but not only was it about inflation driving up Target's costs, it was about inflation driving up their customers' costs, their overhead. Target customers just didn't have enough money left over to buy the higher-priced bigger margin, big ticket items that Target is hoping to sell, they were spending money on food, higher price food. They were spending money on energy or higher rent. And so they didn't have extra money. In fact, even though they were spending more money at Target, they were spending more money buying higher priced food. Maybe Target doesn't make a lot of money on groceries. Maybe it's almost like a loss leader. They're trying to bring people into Target with a good deal on groceries, and they're hoping that while they're there, they'll buy some of the other items where they have a bigger markup and make more money. Well, if they had to raise the price of their groceries because their costs are going up, and now their customers are spending the extra money that they would have spent buying higher margin stuff, if instead they're spending that money on food, well, they don't have the money left over. Plus, if they're spending money outside of Target on higher prices, 
then they don't have extra money there to go shopping. And that is what is driving down sales. And this is exactly what I've been saying. And when I've been criticizing these retail sales numbers, I've always pointed out, and now it's being confirmed by Target, that just because consumers are spending more doesn't mean they're buying more. It means they're paying more. And in this case, they're paying more for the wrong stuff. And so they don't have money left over to buy the stuff that Target needs to sell to make a good profit. And what this really means is that Target needs to raise prices more. It proves, again, what I've been saying and how Elizabeth Warren has been wrong in that Target is not gouging its customers. Target customers are gouging Target because Target is absorbing a lot of the rising costs and it's not passing those costs on to its customers, but it needs to, and it will. It's gonna have to raise the price of food. Maybe it has to start making more money on food if that's the only thing their customers are buying, and it probably has to raise the price of everything else. Sure, it means they're gonna lose some customers, but losing customers may be the best way to deal with rising costs. They have fewer customers, but the customers they keep end up paying a lot more for the stuff they buy. But of course, if Target and all the other retailers are gonna downsize because they're gonna have fewer customers because fewer people have any money to buy the products, well, they need fewer workers and they're gonna lay people off. And it's not just the brick and mortar stores Amazon has been reporting problems. That stock is already down 47% from its peak. Target, which dropped 25% yesterday, was down another 5% today. So that's 30% in two days. It's now down 43% from its peak. So not quite as much as Amazon. But it's not just these behemoths that are having problems. The entire retail sector is having problems. Just look at Gap, for example. Gap shares are down 68% from their peak. These are major declines. And here's the more significant point. You've got Jerome Powell and a lot of other people talking about how strong this economy is. And one of the reasons they claim it's so strong is because the consumer is so strong. The consumer is out there spending. Yeah, they're spending. They're spending it on food. They're spending it on gas. They're spending it on rent. That's not strength. The consumer is strong when they don't have to spend so much money on food and energy, when they have more money left over to buy other stuff. And this data confirms that. If the consumer was so strong, why are all these retailers in bear markets? Why are these stocks getting crushed? Why are the profits collapsing if the consumer is so strong? What's happening in the real world is evidence of just how weak the consumer is. This is more evidence that the Federal Reserve and everybody else wants to ignore. The Biden administration wants to ignore it. It wants to pretend that the economy is strong, even though all of the real world evidence is showing that it's not. The only evidence that we have that the economy is strong is that we still have a low unemployment rate. And we still have a lot of jobs that are unfilled. We have a lot of companies advertising for workers. Well, that can change very quickly. A lot of the companies that are advertising that say they need new workers, they could decide very quickly that they don't need new workers. Clearly, companies that are experiencing a big drop in profits, a lot of these companies may be looking to lay off some of the workers they have because they have to cut costs. They certainly don't want to hire more workers, especially when wages are going up. 
But again, it's not just consumers spending less because the price of food and energy or rent is up. Interest rates are up. Mortgage rates are up. Consumers are getting squeezed from so many different angles with these rising costs. And to make it worse, the stock market has imploded. And you can't just look at what's happening in the Dow because the average investor, they don't own the Dow. They own some of the stocks that are down 50, 60, 70, 80, 90%. They are getting slaughtered in their portfolios. So their net worths are going down. Their cost of living is going up. They're having to cut back on their consumption. And when we have GDP that is 70% consumer spending, and you see the type of financial stress the consumers are under, and when you see the evidence of that stress being reported by Amazon, by Walmart, by Target, one after another, it's the same story. How much more evidence do you need that the economy is in recession? And again, if all you're doing is hanging your hat on low unemployment and you're looking in the rearview mirror, well, take a look in the windshield at the weekly unemployment claims that were released today. Now, the prior week's 203,000 claims did get slightly revised down to 197,000. But the consensus of 197,000 for the current week, we ended up well above that at 218,000 new claims, well above the high end of estimates. So we're up 21,000 claims off of the revised prior week. And the four week moving average is now up to 199.5. This is again, a four month high in unemployment claims. And if you look at a chart of these claims, to me, it looks like we've bottomed in claims and now we're headed higher. And I think your trajectory of the increase in unemployment claims is going to expand now that so many companies are reporting such bad earnings. The stock market has collapsed so much. We're seeing this across the board weakness. I think a lot of companies are going to be looking to batten down the hatchets and try to weather this recession, whether the Fed wants to admit it or not. In fact, Powell just admitted that the soft landing is going to be pretty bumpy. Well, I think a lot of companies are already experiencing a lot of turbulence. And so they're going to do what they can right now, even before the landing, to get rid of whatever excess baggage they can to be as lean as possible. And that means layoffs are coming. And so the one thing that people are hanging their hats on to show the strength of the economy, well, that's going to be gone. I mean, look at the data we got today from the Philadelphia Fed. This is a manufacturing index. It was supposed to come in at 16.1. The consensus was for a low of 7.6 to a high of 23.1. We came out at 2.6, substantially weaker than even the lowest estimate. Existing home sales came out today. Again, another miss. They were looking for an annualized rate of 5.65 million. We got 5.61 million. We're down 2.4% month over month, 5.9% year over year. Of course, home sales are falling because homes are far less affordable now than they were. In fact, look at the drop-off in mortgage applications that was reported yesterday. The composite index was down 11%. Purchases were down 11.9%. Refis were down 9.5%. 
These are big negative numbers. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive. And that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com slash build. That's chime.com slash build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. In fact, we got the housing starts numbers that came out yesterday as well. These were also weaker than expected. The consensus was for 1.765 million and we got 1.724 million. Why are fewer houses being built? Well, because they're too expensive to sell at a profit, especially these starter homes. There's really no way that you can build a starter home right now and sell it at a profit. So the only way you're going to get a starter home is to buy one that already exists. And a lot of people are just renting and they're paying much higher rents as a result of the lack of supply. Now, it is possible, though, that we could start to see some supply coming on the market from a lot of people who could no longer afford to pay their mortgages if they had an adjustable rate mortgage or even if they had a fixed rate mortgage, maybe they can't afford that because their electric bills aren't fixed, their food bills aren't fixed, they have a lot of other prices that are rising and maybe they no longer have the luxury of pulling equity out of their house to help manage the expenses. So maybe some of these homes are gonna come on the market. You know, it's also possible that some of these homes that were bought by investors might come on the market. I spoke a lot about BlackRock and all of the homes that they own. In fact, I was watching a video the other day, George Gammon was making a similar point 
talking about all of these investment single-family homes. You had record numbers of single-family homes that were purchased by investors and they've been rented out. And I've been mentioning for a long time that while those home buys may have been cash flow positive when interest rates were rock bottom, now that interest rates are rising and the cost of maintaining these properties are rising, I think a lot of these homes are now producing negative cash flow because BlackRock probably has a lot of debt on its balance sheet. The cost of servicing that debt is going up. And if now it costs more to pay interest than what their net rental income is after subtracting expenses, maintenance, taxes on all these single family homes, they may decide that it's better to get rid of these homes. And if they put these homes on the market, that will add to the supply and help push down the price. That doesn't do anything with inflation, of course, because home prices are not there. It's just owner's equivalent rent that counts, which is a nothing number. But if real estate prices start to crack, that's the only asset that a lot of Americans still have that isn't falling. And we know what happens when real estate prices are falling and mortgage rates are rising. Homeowners mail in their keys instead of their payments because if their home equity is gone, there's no point in making a mortgage payment on an underwater property. The smart thing to do is stop making your mortgage payments and just live in the house without making any payments because it'll take two, three, four years before the bank can get rid of you. Meanwhile, you can take that money that you're not sending to the bank and you could just use that to buy more stuff, helping to drive inflation even higher. It's not enough to just create wealth. It's essential to protect your wealth from unseen lawsuits, creditors and predators, including your own government seizing your assets because you support the wrong party. Every year, more than 15 million lawsuits are filed in the United States. Many of these lawsuits are frivolous, using lawfare to try and enrich the suing party, knowing you'll likely settle rather than incur huge expense and aggravation. But imagine your hard-earned assets are held in a legal structure that prevents these pesky lawsuits and creditors from gaining access to your assets. Remove the profit from the pursuit and most of the lawsuits will never happen. These days, having a sound and effective integrated estate planning and risk mitigation strategy is essential for affluent investors and business owners to secure their legacies. When total protection is wanted, and believe me, it's always wanted, reach out to Jeffrey Verdon and the Jeffrey M. Verdon Law Group. They've been helping clients protect and secure their assets for decades. But you must act before claims arise or asset protection won't work. So do not delay. Contact the Jeffrey Verdon Law Group today. Mention my name and get 50% off your initial consultation. When combining integrated estate planning with asset protection, affluent investors and business owners can install effective firewall protections against future what-ifs. In fact, Jeff even set up a trust for me where everything inside the trust is completely free of the estate tax, which means more of my assets go to my heirs and less to the government. To learn more about these and other strategies, contact the Jeffrey Verdon Law Group by July 15th. Just mention my name, Peter Schiff, and you'll get a 50% discount on your initial consultation. That's jmvlaw.com. But now that I'm back on the topic of inflation again, I want to talk a little bit more about the elephant in the room that nobody really wants to acknowledge when it comes to inflation, because this is a very important point. Nobody is talking about it except for me. Middle-class Americans, poorer working Americans are really complaining about inflation now. And politicians are 
feeling their pain and they want to do something about it because they're afraid that a lot of these middle class and lower class voters who are hurting from inflation are going to take out their frustration at the polls. So the politicians want to do something about inflation and they want to make a big deal out of it. Hey, we got to get rid of inflation. We got to bring inflation down. But what they don't want to acknowledge and what nobody wants to admit is that we have been paying for government with inflation. I always talk about inflation being a tax and inflation is the tax that middle class and lower class Americans are disproportionately bearing in order to cover the cost of government. The U.S. government is spending a lot more money now than it spent before COVID. And in fact, during the years of the Trump administration, government spending continued to increase and taxes did not. In fact, we had tax cuts under Trump, but we never had any spending cuts. We had more spending. Trump spent more on warfare. He spent more on welfare. He added the Space Force. Well, we didn't get all this stuff for free. Now, Americans thought they were getting it for free because nobody raised their taxes. How did we get the money to pay for all this stuff? We just borrowed it. We sold more bonds and the Fed printed more money. So we paid for all this government with inflation. So now middle-class Americans are getting the bill for all this government in the form of higher inflation. And they don't like it. They don't want to pay the inflation tax. They just don't realize it's a tax. Well, what they also don't realize is the only way to lower inflation is to find another way to pay for government. Because if the government is not going to create all this inflation, if the Fed is going to stop printing all this money and the government is going to stop borrowing money, well, where is it going to get the money to cover all this spending? It's got to get it from the middle class. It's not going to get it from the rich because there's not enough money in taxing the rich. It's like, why did Willie Sutton rob banks? Well, because that's where the money is. Why do politicians have to tax the middle class because that's where the money is. There's not a lot of money to take from the rich. They're already paying a huge amount of income tax. If you try to tax them more, you may end up collecting less. But the other problem with taxing the rich, and I touched on this in my last podcast, and this applies to corporations, is when you tax the rich in corporations, they generally don't reduce their spending. They reduce their investment. Well, you need more capital investment If you want to get more stuff in the supply chain, you got to make the stuff. And you can't make the stuff without the capital investment required to produce it. And so it's counterproductive if you take money away from investors and just send it to the government to spend, you're producing less and you're consuming more. That pushes prices up. The government has to raise taxes on the people who would spend the money. The way the government lowers inflation is by lowering the spending. So how do you lower spending? You've got to reduce the incomes of the middle class. You've got to reduce the incomes of the poor. Now, that doesn't sound very good. It's not. But that's the unfortunate reality because the government has been growing spending year after year after year and no one has had to pay for it. They have been delaying the day of reckoning. Well, now the bills are coming due. The piper needs to be paid. Right now, we're paying the piper through inflation and the poor and the middle class 
don't like it. They can't afford it. They want some relief. Well, they can't get relief from the inflation tax unless they're going to pay higher regular taxes. So what kind of relief is that? Okay, the way we're going to lower inflation is we're going to increase the payroll tax. We're going to increase your income tax. We're going to come up with a new national value-added tax, right? These are ways that the government could take money away from the middle class and the poor so that they don't have to borrow as much and so the Fed doesn't have to print as much. Now, of course, another way to do this would be to cut spending. I mean, that would be my choice. Instead of raising taxes on the people who are already paying taxes, why don't we cut spending? Because the government has to reduce the money it's sending to people, like people who are collecting government pensions, people who are collecting Social Security, Medicare, Obamacare, because those people are spending money they did not earn. I mean, maybe you can claim, well, they earned it because they paid into it. But as of right now, they are not contributing to society to get that money. They are not producing, adding goods and services into the economy. All they're doing is buying the goods and services that are already there. So if you want to bring down inflation, you have to stop people from spending money they did not earn spending money that is not tied to productive activity. If you're not helping to produce, well, then you can't be consuming. And so the government has to find a way to reduce this consumption, and they can either do it by raising taxes or cutting spending. But they have to do something, because if they don't raise taxes and if they don't cut spending, it doesn't matter what the Fed does on interest rates, inflation's not going away because government has to be paid for one way or another. There is no free lunch. And if the public were told the truth, there would be an uproar. They would be storming the Capitol. Talk about the riots that we had after Trump. Imagine the riots that we would have if the public actually knew what they were in for, that the only way to get rid of inflation is if their incomes are reduced by taxation or if the government tells people who are living off of entitlements, these middle-class entitlements, yes, we're going to get rid of inflation, but by the way, we're going to take 25% or 50% of your Social Security. We're going to have to send you less money. When I tweeted about this fact, a lot of people responded basically that I'm a heartless person, right? This is my solution. I want to raise taxes on the middle class. I want to cut benefits for the middle class. It's not about what I want to do or whether I'm heartless or not. It's about what has to be done. This is the unfortunate reality. If the government didn't want to impoverish the middle class, it never should have made government so expensive because government has to be paid for. We don't get our government for free. And so if the politicians cared about the people, they wouldn't have spent the people's money like drunken sailors, but they did. And now the consequences can't be avoided. So am I happy that the poor and the middle class either have to pay much higher taxes or accept much lower benefits? No, I'm not happy about it, but that's the reality. If it was up to me, we wouldn't be in this situation, but it wasn't up to me. We had reckless politicians from both parties and we had a reckless Federal Reserve that allowed this massive growth in government and now we've got to pay the cost. We've either got to pay it with higher prices, inflation, or we're going to pay it through higher taxes or reduced benefits. Those are the only choices. There is no magic way out of it. Now, of course, since politicians don't have the guts to raise taxes on the middle class, they don't have the guts to cut entitlements that are enjoyed by the middle class, 
Well, the inflation is going to continue. And the only thing they're going to be able to do is point fingers. They're going to blame greedy corporations. They're going to blame Putin. They're going to blame everybody but themselves. They'll never accept responsibility, which is why I am confident that down the road, we're going to get price controls because there's going to be no other way that they can go after inflation. Now, they might go after some of the companies that they claim are gouging their customers, even though they're not doing it. There may be some high-profile prosecutions of businesses that are taking advantage of the consumer. They have to do something to pretend that they're acting on the voters' frustration over higher inflation. They can't admit to the voters that the reason we have high inflation is because we have to pay for all this government, that all the programs that we promised you aren't free. They cost something. And since we don't have the guts to tax you to pay for our spending, well, you got inflation. That's the consequence. They're never going to say that, but that's why inflation is going to keep getting worse because there is no viable political way to get rid of it. And certainly, I don't think Jerome Powell is willing to do what Paul Volcker did in the early 1980s to get rid of it because the U.S. economy is in much worse shape now than it was back then. And again, everything that Powell has stated, even though he keeps talking tough about fighting inflation, it's all contingent on the economy being strong. Not just strong, super strong, red hot. Powell keeps saying the Fed will do whatever it takes to fight inflation because the economy is strong enough to withstand it. Powell has never said that if the economy were to slip into recession and inflation was still high, that the Fed would continue to do whatever it takes to fight inflation. Whenever he's been asked that question, he's ducked it. And again, he has gone out of his way to claim that his admiration for Paul Volcker has nothing to do with the fact that he was willing to raise rates despite the fact that we were in a recession and make the recession worse. He simply says that he admires Volcker because Volcker did what he thought was right. So Powell never mentions whether or not he thought what Volcker did was right or what he thinks would be right if he were faced with similar circumstances. Because I know that, yes, as long as he thinks the economy is strong, well, he's willing to fight inflation because he doesn't think it'll hurt the economy. Well, once that is proven not to be the case, just like it was proven that inflation wasn't transitory, the minute Powell is faced with a real choice between stimulating the economy and fighting unemployment on the one hand, or sedating the economy and fighting inflation on the other hand, then he is going to give up his inflation fight and he's going to focus exclusively on the economy and employment. Inflation be damned. And that's when inflation is really going to go through the roof. Now, the markets haven't figured this out yet, but there is some indication that they're beginning to wake up to the first half of that equation. Don't you just love that sound? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify is the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. So supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success. For a free 14-day trial, go to shopify.com gold, all lowercase. Shopify is a platform designed for anyone to sell anywhere, giving small entrepreneurs the resources once reserved just for big business. And it's customized for you. 
with a great looking online store that brings your ideas to life and provides you the tools you need to manage and drive sales. By helping to make your ideas real, Shopify opens endless possibilities. All big businesses start out small. In fact, even this podcast, which was once a hobby, is now a real business. So if you're committed to growing your business, let Shopify help you do it. Shopify already empowers millions of entrepreneurs from their first sale to full scale. In fact, every 28 seconds, another small business owner makes their first sale on Shopify. So get started by building and customizing your online store with no coding or design experience. Access powerful tools to help you find customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day. Gain knowledge and confidence with resources to help you succeed. Plus, with 24-7 support, you're never alone. It's more than just a store. Shopify grows with you. These are the possibilities and they're powered by Shopify. So go to shopify.com slash gold, all lowercase, to get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. So start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash gold right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mentioned on my last podcast that I was observing some interesting weakness in the U.S. dollar and that there had been a potential reversal where the dollar index had briefly peaked above 105 and then closed lower and then had continued lower. Well, we got more dollar weakness today. And in fact, we completely reversed some of the dollar strength that we had yesterday as the stock market was collapsing and we had a bit of a safe haven move into the dollar. The dollar index tanked today. We're now down at 102 spot eight. After having been above 105 last week, I think this is very interesting. In particular, was the strength in the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen. In fact, not only were those two currencies very strong today, especially the Swiss franc, but those currencies were up yesterday. So even as the dollar was going up against the euro or the Aussie dollar or the Canadian dollar yesterday, there was some serious strength in the Swiss franc and the Japanese yen, which continued today. And that is a bit of an indication to me that the markets are now finally looking behind the rate hikes to the rate cuts. In other words, up until now, the markets have only focused on the tightening cycle because the Fed is talking about tightening. We're going to keep on tightening. We're going to raise rates. We're aggressive. We're going to do quantitative tightening. I've always said, yeah, sure, up until the point where the economy completely rolls over and they have to pivot. But the markets weren't focusing on that. They were just looking at what was directly in front of them. Well, now there's some evidence that they're waking up to that reality. Now, it's not conclusive yet. I'd like to see some more dollar weakness. In addition, gold strength. I mentioned on the last podcast, I was noticing some incipient strength in gold. Gold had moved back above 1800. Well, today we almost hit 1850. We're we're up better than $30 an ounce 
at one point, we closed up about $25. Silver had a strong day too, up 51 cents. We closed at 21.90. But a lot of strength in the mining stocks. The GDX was up 5.5% today. The GDXJ up almost 7%. And there were many individual stocks that were up 9 or 10%. These were big moves. And we're starting to see a little bit of a decoupling now between the mining stocks and the overall stock market because the overall stock market was dragging the mining stocks down. Well, not today. The mining stocks shrugged off weakness in the overall stock market and instead had a big gain. Now, I'm not willing to say that the turn has happened for sure. I'd like to see a bigger move up in the price of gold before I could say with a high degree of certainty that we have made this shift. I'd like to see an even bigger rise in gold stocks. And maybe we will see that in the days and weeks ahead. And that will be, in my mind, proof that the markets are now starting to accept the reality of recession, either that we're already in one or we will soon be in one. And the recession will ultimately force the Fed to back away from its current trajectory of rate hikes. Now, the Fed doesn't even have to cut rates for it to constitute an easing. They simply have to give the markets a less hawkish forward guidance. All they have to do is say, well, given some of the incoming data, we no longer think that we're going to do 50 basis points at the next meeting, maybe just 25, or maybe we'll hold off a bit and wait for more data to come in. Because one of the things the Fed is going to say, once they are confronted with signs that the hot economy that they think is hot is cooling off, they are going to be able to say that that means that inflation is likely to come down. Because the Federal Reserve has been claiming that one of the reasons for the inflation is it's just the byproduct of this super strong economy. It's like, yes, we have this strong economy. Well, one of the negative consequences, one of the trade-offs of this very strong economy is higher inflation. And the Fed is going to reduce this inflation, even if it means we have to take a little momentum off the economy. But since it's so strong, it has so much extra to give. Remember, Powell said unemployment is so low that even if it notches up a couple of points because we have to raise interest rates to two, two and a half percent to fight inflation, well, that's okay. Yes, well, he'll be singing a different tune if unemployment spikes up to 4% or 5%. Now it's a whole new ball game. But I think what Powell will claim once there is evidence that the economy is not as strong as he thought, that the labor market is not as strong as he thought, Powell will be able to say that inflation is going to come down, even though it hasn't come down, and even though there may be no evidence that it's coming down. In fact, it may be going up. Powell will say, well, we're going to look beyond that because what we're seeing in the economy, what we're seeing with increasing unemployment means that the pressure on wages is going to go down. The pressure on prices is going to go down. We think these bottlenecks are going to clear up. The supply chain will open up. And so we're now going to start focusing on the economy because we think that we've already done enough on inflation. Even though we didn't raise rates as much as we thought, the market did our work for us. 
because the market already priced in the rate hikes that we never even delivered. And we've already seen this tightening in financial conditions, not just the stock market coming down, but we've seen real spending coming down. We've seen employment coming down and unemployment going up. And so the job is done. We achieved our objective sooner than we thought. And so it's overkill. We don't actually need to continue hiking rates. And I think initially the markets will buy that. But of course, it will result in a big rally in gold and silver, I think, a big rally in gold and silver mining stocks and a big drop in the dollar. But the problem is that big drop in the dollar and also a big rise in commodity prices, including oil and all sorts of agricultural commodities. The minute the Fed makes that pivot, even if it doesn't cut rates, it just indicates that it's not going to raise them as much and it now adopts a easier monetary stance that is going to undermine the dollar and send commodity prices to a whole new level. That's going to fan the inflation fire. So inflation is going to keep getting worse. It's not going to go down like Powell believes, just like it wasn't transitory, it's not going to go away because the economy is weaker than Powell thought. In fact, the weakness in the economy is actually going to be a catalyst for an uptick in inflation. And that's when the markets are really going to go off on a whole new tangent. That's when the dollar can crater. That's when gold can go ballistic. It's when the markets are now faced with that reality. They should be able to see it now, but they can't see that far in advance. What I'm talking about is the position where we are clearly in recession. It's not just that the economy is slowing down, but it is in recession. Unemployment is high. There is a lot of stress in the market, in the financial market. Maybe there's a lot of bankruptcies. Maybe we're on the verge of another financial crisis. But at the same time, not only has inflation not come anywhere near 2%, but maybe it's over 10%. Maybe we have an official double-digit inflation. At the same time, we have a severe recession. And now, as I said, the Fed is going to have to save the economy. It's going to have to sacrifice inflation because if it decides that it needs to solve the inflation problem and ignore the economy, then we will have a massive financial crisis. We won't just have a recession, we'll have a depression. And I don't think Powell's going to allow that because after all, I don't think Powell thinks that's the right thing to do. I think he thinks if it means we have to have high inflation for a while, so be it because the alternative is even worse. Well, what Powell doesn't realize is the minute he makes that choice, it's all over. Whatever credibility the Fed still has left over from the Volcker era will be gone for good. Powell doesn't understand just how much value the dollar can lose, how precarious the dollar's position as the world's reserve currency is, and how much the U.S. depends on that. Because once that's lost and the dollar collapses, it's not just a financial crisis that we're going to have. We're going to have a currency crisis. We're going to have a sovereign debt crisis. And that's so much worse than what the Fed will try to avoid by allowing inflation to run out of hand. Of course, if they do the right thing and prevent inflation from running out of hand, then we're still going to have a far bigger disaster than anything we had following COVID or the 2008 financial crisis. It's going to dwarf any adverse 
experience that anyone has lived through. In fact, it's going to be worse than anything that our grandparents or great-grandparents lived through during the Great Depression. We have a date with economic destiny. We have been living beyond our means. We have gone on this massive debt and spending binge. As I said earlier, the piper needs to be paid. And now the piper is here presenting this bill and we've got to deal with it one way or another. There is no easy way out. No matter which choice the Fed makes, it's a disaster. It's just if they choose to stimulate the economy rather than fight inflation, maybe they postpone the disaster for another six months or another year so they buy themselves some time. But of the two horrific choices, allowing inflation to run away is clearly the more horrific But because those consequences can be postponed somewhat and therefore they will happen later, that is most likely what they're going to choose, especially since the politicians can always blame that on somebody else. If they actually deal with the problems that they created with massive cuts to government spending, massive increases to taxation, if the government actually defaults on its commitments, if it defaults on the national debt, if it defaults on Social Security and other entitlements, it's clear that the politicians are to blame. But if the dollar crashes, then they can blame currency speculators, they can blame foreigners, they can blame the free market itself, capitalism, the rich, greedy corporations, you name it, they'll pin the blame on it and they'll be able to use that as an excuse to grow government even more, to have a completely government-planned economy. In other words, the government will destroy the economy that was built by free market capitalism and then blame free market capitalism for the destruction and claim that the solution is that we go all in on socialism. I want to wrap up today's podcast, though, by addressing some of the criticism that I've seen on the chats for the podcast and the new format where I've been releasing the podcasts on the afternoon following the day that I originally record them. In the past, I was recording these podcasts generally after the close of the market. And by the time we finished uploading them, they would get on maybe on YouTube at around 9 or 10 o'clock, sometimes 11 o'clock at night. They would show up a little earlier on Shift Radio because the upload process to Shift Radio uh, was not as lengthy as, as YouTube. And recently, I decided to change the format. I decided to put out the podcasts the following day at one o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time. And so I don't really have to rush to get them done. I don't have to worry about, oh, it's midnight. It's too late to put it out. I'm putting all the podcasts out the next day and I'm putting them out at a time of the day where I get more people listening. And in fact, ever since I've shifted to the new format, I'm getting more people listening to the podcast. More people are listening to them the day after I record them than were listening when I posted them the day of. Now, I recognize that there are some people that don't want to wait. So if I record a podcast on Thursday evening, they want to hear it Thursday evening. They don't want to wait till Friday afternoon. Well, that's why I've got locals. I have an alternative for people who want to listen to the podcast the day I record it, you can still do it. You just got to pay five bucks a month. That's all. You got to sign up for locals. Now, the main reason 
that people say they want to listen to the podcasts the day I record it is for the market sensitive stuff. When I'm talking about the stock market or what's going on in the bond market or the dollar, people want to hear my perspective that day. They don't want to wait. Well, most likely it's because maybe they're doing something with the information. Maybe they're making some investment decisions based on what I have to say. And so they want the information as soon as possible. They don't want to wait. Well, if that's the case, pay $5 and get it. I mean, if you're telling me that it's really important to you that you hear my podcast the day I record it and you don't want to wait till the following afternoon. If that's the case, then pay the $5 because if you're not willing to pay $5 a month, then it can't be that important. And if it's not that important, wait. If it is important, then pay the $5. And in addition to getting to hear the podcasts the day I record them, you get zero commercials because there were some people claiming they don't like the commercials. They don't like to have to fast forward them. Okay, if the commercials are a problem for you, then pay $5 not to have to hear them. If it's not worth $5 to skip the commercials, then how bad can they be? Because $5 is not a lot of money. And also, I am going to be doing some other stuff. We're going to be doing some Q&A. I am going to be coming up with some unique content that is only going to be available on Locals. Just give me a little time. I'm going to come up with some stuff. So I'm going to find additional ways to deliver value for your $5 a month. Now, I know, I mean, maybe some people with inflation and the rising costs out there, maybe you don't have an extra five bucks. Fine. Just keep listening for free and... Listen to the ads. Listen a day later. It shows you how difficult it's going to be for a lot of these companies to charge for content because a lot of these online companies, they're going to be losing a lot of revenue from their advertisers because the advertisers are going to be cutting back because their customers are cutting back. And so a lot of podcasters or a lot of people who have content, a lot of these big websites who make all their money from advertising, they may have to try to figure out how to get the customers to pay to use their platform. And I can tell you from experience, a lot of people will use a platform, listen to content, watch content if it's free or if there's advertising-based models, but ask somebody to pay for it and all of a sudden it's not that important. A lot of people will give something up if they have to pay for it and a lot of these companies are going to find out the hard way just how non-viable a lot of these business models are.